This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Builder Future Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Danny Singh from Syllable. Very happy to have him on today because we're going to be talking about something that's been in the news a lot in terms of what's happening right now in, in our world and people working from home and, and potentially how office spaces are actually evolving into potentially a hybrid solution, incorporating a live workspace at home while coming into the office. Danny, how's it going, buddy? I know uh, we've known each other for such a long time, almost 10, 12 years now, uh, from when we started working for other people and started to cut the ropes, uh, as they say, and learned everything as they go along. How are you doing? How's, how's your journey been, buddy? Good, good, Rahul. Thank you so much for uh, having me here. I know we've actually seen each other grown throughout the years, so I'm uh, very glad to see where you're at right now at your stage as well. Yeah, don't forget, uh, you were the one who introduced me to my wife as well. So <laughs> big connection, oh big connection right. there as That's well, right? right? So uh, it's it's been quite a while, but uh, but yeah, let's let, let's let's just jump right into this uh, live workspace and this hybrid office solution. Um, what are your thoughts on what's going on? Obviously, a lot more people are working from home. You are a part of a design a design firm. Uh, what have you been seeing right now in terms of what some of the challenges are for people working in this space? Well, I think what we're seeing in the world right now is almost a accelerated version of what we were expecting the world to move into anyway. And to set a bit more of a context, in, in 2017, Intuit, which is a fintech software, they did a study that by 2020, which is now this year, 45% of the workforce in North America, actually what they did was 45% in America and 50% in Canada are going to be people that are self-employed, freelancers, or on-demand workers. And this is due to the gig economy. And part of that is fueled by the advancements in technology, as well as the uh, shifting demographics. So we notice as if 45% of the workload, that's almost, that's, that's almost one in two. So meaning that by this year, nearly half of the population in the country would have that ability, that, that ability to work anywhere. So they're no longer confined to the office. And that's why co-working spaces are so popular. And it's almost natural that um, homes will be readapted to uh, support more of that office environment to allow people that are self-employed on demand or freelancers to be productive while working at home as well. Yeah, I think originally the concept was in the tech industry, right? Like we all heard of the Googles and that kind of stuff where, you know, they, they came in when they wanted, they worked from home, they made their own hours kind of thing. But I believe in, in other sectors of, of different various industries, I think it was a lot more slow to adapt. Uh, I'm not sure if it's because from the leadership down, you know, there was a trust factor, not 100% knowing how some of the technology was going to work, what the costs for technology are. But now there are so many platforms out there that, that focus on workflow platforms, focus on milestone achievements in a remote setting. And I think the coronavirus has actually accelerated that curve in people jumping on, be it with Zoom meetings or Slack or, or you know, so, 
so many of those systems out there to test them out because they had to. They didn't have a choice. So I think that that path's kind of accelerated. And and I feel that as we come out of it, I think, you know, there's going to be some some adaptability, some changes because, I mean, you, you tell me, uh, do you think there's still a need for a traditional office setting these days? Um, I think the need for a traditional office setting is going to be very different coming out of this because I the uh, the whole work from home. I think this has been the largest global experiment on work from home, and corporations and people themselves are starting to realize that they're they can still be productive while working at home. In fact, some people are more productive when doing so. And part of that reason is in in their own studies doing commercial design for offices and other corporate type clients is that we create environments that create psychological safety as well as comfort because we we realize that employees and people in general are more productive when they're when they're comfortable and and the home being the space where it's almost like your sanctuary it it almost makes sense why that is why people are realizing that work from home is more productive in some ways because they don't have to deal with commute and they're also in an environment where they feel safe and can focus with the exception if it if you have a lot of kids and they're running around, then you're getting bugs <laughs> and pokes, which which is something I'm sure you've you've encountered as well with a young kid. So. Oh, oh, 100%, 100%. But I, I, I feel that there's still a need for an office. Maybe, maybe firms will not be looking at getting, you know, a full capacity office where 100% of their of their team members are, are in there. Maybe they'll go at 40%, 50% go on and off because. You can't really quantify that in-person brainstorming sessions, collaborative meetings, absolutely team building exercises. You know, I, I think now, I think there was a novelty initially of only working from home. And as we've progressed through the months, I feel like people, including myself, have kind of missed that office social setting. I think people call it like a water cooler talk and stuff because it is a part of our social environment as well, that meeting other people in person and engaging with them outside of your home. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point about that, how how we foresee offices to change, it's actually a, a trend that we've been noticing that, that offices are now becoming a tool to build corporate culture as well as employee engagement. So having those in-person meetings, having those t- town hall um, settings, having those events and those face-to-face interactions and collaborations that cannot be replaced by Zoom, by virtual, <laughs> exactly, by Zoom. And, and, and we all know that the, the whole notion of Zoom fatigue because like when you're seeing yourself on the street, part of your energy is dedicated on, oh, like, am I looking okay, blah, blah, and it causes Zoom fatigue, whereas you don't have that when you're face-to-face, and you don't have to draw on certain surfaces. So the rule of the office will will still remain, but I think the footprint of the office, the necessity of having dedicated workspaces will Might shrink a little bit, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And what would be more prevalent within these office spaces will be the like we mentioned, those spaces that facilitate the face-to-face interaction. So meeting spaces, town hall, meetings, and so forth, but within the smaller footprint. So the spaces do need to be flexible. We also foresee more more smaller meeting rooms, almost like phone conversation pods that facilitate either video conferencing, if you're talking about consultants remotely, or just to have a quiet space to work. So yeah, that's, that's how we think the office would evolve and based on the trends we're seeing. That's pretty interesting because, you know, I always think that 
you know, for the most part, fashion and to a lesser extent, music is, you know, it's kind of cyclical in their trends, right? Like they kind of come back full circle with slight tweaks and stuff. But it seems like in this case, we're almost going back for full circle, right? I mean, it, I mean, when did when did offices become a thing? Uh, you know, you know what I mean? I think back in the day, uh, you didn't have locations with warehouses and, and stuff like that. I mean, what was it before? And why do you think we started moving away from that kind of setting? Basically talking about like the pre-industrial revolution mm-hmm. talking about before that, where people worked, bakers were at home, they would go upstairs. Right, yeah. Right. yeah. 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 So, so that comes from a school of thought called Taylorism and it stems from the post-industrial revolution in England, where the idea is that you would have a role of, of, of workers you kind of like row after row, and then with a row in the center that allows a supervisor to walk through. So the, the, the notion is that workers has to be beside each other, they're working away, and they need to be supervised. And that creates almost like a very labor camp type of a mentality and work environment. And after that, there was a rejection around that to, to uh, what is um, called the Bruchschaft. And that's, that's kind of like the granddaddy of the, the open office. So it's more of a organic layout of the office or, or teams of, of related disciplines are structured together. So that, that, that type of uh, open plan offices actually originated in the uh, 1950s. So a lot earlier than what people consider open plan. And then in the 80s and 90s or so, we, we start seeing the uh, cubicle emerge. And that's, which is actually quite interesting. It came about from a idealistic approach. So the, the president of Herman Miller, the furniture maker at the time, created something called the action office. So the notion is that the uh, worker would have a place to stand, like a standing office even, and an area to do telephone and typing and another area for ideas. And all of that is structured around the panel system. So a workstation as it were, right? Like a workstation. Yeah, everything you need is right there. Exactly. And due to the the cost of score footage and leasing corporations and and uh, people with these offices realize that they need to jam pack people in to save score footage. So that's how the cubicle was created. And We've all seen like horrible images of corporate America with rows and rows of cubicles. And then, and then we have tech companies like Google come in to disrupt that where they wanted to create an office space where their employees want to go into. They can select their seats. They can go where they want to. It evolved from there. Yeah. They've also made it like super awesome as well. So so almost like a mix between a, a cafe hangout area and even incorporating games room and so forth into their, their workstation. So that's, that inspiration and ideal from the tech office led to where we're seeing a lot of companies moving towards, which is creating an environment that employees want to go into. And this ties in with, with the war on talent as well, because companies are, are realizing having A players within their team is, is far more effective than having a lot of B players. So they want to attract and retain the best talent. And by, by doing so, the uh, talent recruitment strategy is, is, is to create the kind of offices that these people want to stay at. And uh, so the design of these office spaces almost serve as well as a hiring strategy also on top of that. That's fascinating, uh, you know, for how you started the conversation. It sounds like from the post-industrial revolution, they kind of 
companies started taking the mindset of manufacturing plants and the you know line by line where you know one facet moves to the next to the moves to the next they kind of extrapolated that that back into an office environment where you would have one flow to the next to the next kind of thing in and i guess by extension it started getting bigger uh with cities and towns where they started zoning properties i mean we see that now as well right people want to change change something it's like oh we need to get site plan approval to make sure it's zoned for that specific use, which is pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, so in terms of zoning, it was a desire to separate these different zones and uses. And so we have the industrial zone, which uh, for obvious reasons, you want to keep that away from the residential, the agriculture, and then a bit of more of a mixed use area, like the CR designation, the commercial residential type uh, uses, where you have main streets, retail on the ground level, and then residential on the top. So that's what we commonly see in, in cities and wider boulevards, and then exclusively the uh, residential areas. So this kind of complicates things a little bit because within the residential zones, the zoning allows you to have occupational use. So what that means is that you're allowed to work from home, but you're not allowed to meet your clients or to have employees come to your space to uh, work at. And that really limits people from using their space. Do you think that's because it's code related? Because Working in the commercial space, there are a lot of rules and regulations for uh, safety considerations, be it exit lights, grab bars, whatever the case might be, uh, in addition to numerous other things. Do you think that's part of the reason why it's only for occupational use as opposed to a more elaborate one? I think it's to prevent, there's a term called nimbyism, which is not in my backyardism. So I think a lot of it stems from people who live in quiet residential neighborhoods that don't want a lot of people coming to their space and park their car and making their quiet sanctuaries feel like a uh, office space where they are reminded of work. So I think a lot of it comes from that. Oh, interesting. But, you know, it's kind of funny. We talked about how, you know, it's kind of progressed through the cubicles and such. But I remember back in the 80s and 90s watching music videos and other movies where, uh, people would be working from their home, their primary source. Mm -hmm. But I guess those were more artists who really weren't involved in meeting with clients and, you know, other other sectors. They were mainly in the creative industry. Do you think there was a reason for that? And how did that start kind of becoming more mainstream that other people could start working from home as well? You want to keep your overhead low. So when you're an artist now that's just starting out, <laughs> getting your first commission, you really can't afford a studio and be separated around that. So um, I think the term lost or popularized within New York, specifically Soho, where a lot of artists were living at the time. And they simply created their own apartments into, into uh, artist studios as well. And ha having like that kind of loft space is almost an ideal typology in the sense that you have like your work entertainment areas on the ground level and then within the floating mezzanine space you have your private space that's separated away so you're still within the same space but you're the areas where you want that relaxation that sanctuary is separated from the part of the action so it's a very popular typology so when people think of live works units they, they essentially think of lofts but it doesn't necessarily need to be the that way. It's well, yeah, you, t you touched on something. Uh, I think you've been through it as well, and so have I. When we started our own journey and and businesses as well, we didn't jump in and get an office right away, right? We 
We, I think we both worked from home for many number of years, but I think even uh, not, not that far back, like uh, I've had my company for seven, just over seven years now, you're roughly the same as well. But there is a certain, or at least there might have been, there was a certain cachet to having a physical location on your business card or on your website, right? But I think that's changing now because every everybody's all over the place, right? You you can have meetings with whoever, and people don't have to physically meet, except for us, like on a project site for as part of construction. Yeah, I think a lot of ways were were liberated from the confines of geography or technology has afforded us the convenience that we now enjoy. Like when quarantine came into effects, it didn't affect us at all because we uh, all of our files were in the cloud. We used Google Suites. So everything was already in the internet. So if you have an internet connection, you can work. So that transition has been extremely easy. And in fact, it's, it's actually three times less expensive than, than it was 10 years ago to start your own business. Like I've, I, I saw a statistic where in 2010, it cost around eight, 8,500 or so to start your own firm. Like, like for instance, getting the graphics ready, uh, getting websites, uh, creating a domain and uh, setting up the, the server for it. Whereas now it costs roughly $3,000 just to get started. So it's, it's afforded a lot of people the ability to start their own business and even second careers as well. In fact, the not one of the largest number of entrepreneurial groups are baby boomers, people past 50 even, starting their second career after they retire from their first. So yeah, in many ways, technology has enabled us what we're seeing now. I couldn't agree more. I mean, for me, uh, speaking from personal experience, I mean, we've had two offices and last year, actually, we we moved on from our office, our physical location, and and I decided to go to a more of a virtual setting. You know, people working from home, and because in, in construction, especially in, in my side uh, of the mic over here, uh, most of my guys were on project sites, and even if they were project managers or estimators or project coordinators, you know, two three days in the week, they're out on project sites reviewing meetings. Um, you know, site walkthroughs, you name it. And and I was finding the office was always half empty. <laughs> so, so we already started transitioning away from that. Uh, and I found it very interesting what Syllable has been doing over the last few months. You guys have been sharing a lot of concepts and ideas on how to incorporate tangible work environments. Because I know I struggled with it in my home trying <laughs> to create that, not, not just physical separation, but that mental separation from this is my home, and this is my work. Can you tell me some of the stuff that Syllable has been doing in that space and to promote and, and educate uh, people on how they can best improve their environment? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so how I got started into this was just like yourself. I've, I've worked from home for a number of years before that. And in, in fact, even when I was working for another architecture firm, I had my own freelance practice as well. So I was waking up at five in the morning, doing my thing, and then going to my day job, so to speak, and, and then going to events after. So I've converted the second bedroom in my apartment into an office. So it's uh, allowed me that separation. And I've designed it in a way that it's, it, it would help me reduce stress and, and also optimize for productivity. So I was very fortunate in that sense. And I see the benefits and the convenience that afforded me at the early stage of my, my own career. And so when I, when I went off on my own, it was awesome in the sense that I did not have to commute as well at all. I wake up there, but there was a, a, a bit of a, a, uh, 
a flaw in terms of like it's it's difficult to know when to shut down because work because working from home can be like living at work. So that's that's where having a uh, t- transition will make sense. Almost like having a threshold, like you you walk in from your bedroom, the environment is designed in a different way, whereas your office or living space will be designed a certain way. So in terms of what we're we're doing in, t- in terms of concepts, we started looking at s- some of the most common typologies out there. First one being the townhouse type typology. And most recently, we started working on a concept for lane housing. And why townhouses are interesting is because they're they're essentially like low low to mid rise typologies that can be built within the city, and uh, it can help densify the space without creating too much. Yeah, skinny but tall, right? Exactly, exactly. And you, you see a lot of buildings and mid rises like that all over Asia, like really dense cities like Tokyo, for instance, where buildings very rarely go over uh, ten stories, and they're still able to maintain that kind of uh, density and intimacy. So one of our ideas with the, the townhouse is is this: What if we, in, instead of having the basement as as an unfinished space, um, com- commonly just just like use as like entertainment area, playroom, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. What if we highlight that and make it one of the most desirable spaces? So we carved out an interior courtyard inside the space to bring down lights from the inside, but within the the front entry, we carved out another front courtyard as the main entry down into the basement. So what that creates is almost creates like a main street appeal. Or and it's also like a visual separation as you're walking from one exactly, space into another. Exactly. Right? And in terms of separating between the the work area and the live area, like all you really need is to create almost like a threshold or like doorway where you can sh- shut off, shut on, and and so forth. It doesn't need to be that complicated. And within the the language house typology, that was actually inspired by COVID. We're thinking there's a few trends we're seeing. There's multi-generational housing, which is multiple generations living together. And I think it's spun a lot from kids who grew up living with their parents when they're starting their career, but realize that they can get along with them and so forth. And as their parents got older, they realize that it's okay living with them. So that type of living situation is prevalent in Asia and as well as Latin America and so forth. So if we adopt that notion over here, now that the uh, language bylaws has been approved, what can be achieved is that because the elderly doesn't need that, that much space because they have mobility issues. What if we create an accessible laneway house by including a residential lift within the interior of the space? Take the take the vertical circulation, like the staircase, and put that at the exterior to save up more space within. And for the able body, we put in a ladder within that space. Then it, it actually creates a very spacious layout that can accommodate the people in wheelchair or people with accessibility issues. And it also makes sense because if you want to quarantine and still still see your family, you could just it's stay with that not. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Separated and not. And with, with deliveries and so forth, we, we created kind of like a drop-off area, like a decontamination zone, if you will, to where um, delivery people can just drop things off and then set it up through the residential lift above without even seeing the uh, person that's living within the Langway house. So there's a lot of potential strategies out there that we can adopt. And right now, we're actually looking at how to adapt Main Street retail into a more kind of like modular and flexible solution to accommodate live and work on Main Street. Well, that's awesome. I wanted to go back a little bit and just touch on, I know you talked about 
laneway housing. I know you talked about townhouses, but you know, in in most dense areas as well, there's a lot of uh, high rise condos or you know other people who live in the suburbs who still have who still have homes. Um, you know, what would you suggest? Obviously, aside from reaching out to you guys, is what would you guys suggest in terms of what are some of the fundamental design principles that they should keep in mind if, you know, if they're in a one bedroom condo and they don't necessarily have that space or, you know, to, to put a doorway to segregate the two, what are some uh, thoughts to consider in terms of how to create that separation? Most times it's in the mind more so than anything else, but how, how can people set that up? Yeah, it absolutely is within the mind. Let's use condos as an, as an example. So having worked on hundreds of condo layouts where I've seen like really horrible design dense and simply because we have to fit it in a lot of times these den and designated offices are horrible spaces to work in unless you get a designer to really jazz up the space so there's a few design principles that can be used that that we, we often recommend to clients to really make those undesirable dense spaces a lot more enticing so first first is the use of color as a, a material you uh want a color that, that naturally inspires you, that's, that generates calm. So and the the other elements are things and objects that you that um, calms you. So biophilic design is kind of like the it term being thrown around, but it basically just means love for nature. So having vegetation within your office space can help reduce stress. And the next part will be the orientation of the space. So within a small condo and a small space, especially if you have a roommate or you're, you're uh, living with someone, it's really easy to get startled if someone comes up from, from behind you because you don't know what to expect. Your, your, your sick, so to speak, is not covered. So um, what we recommend don't is... Don't face the wall. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so within those sp- small spaces, um, sit with your back facing the wall so and have your, have your table essentially face closer to the, the entry of the den. That way, you're looking out into the, to the space from, from the widest vantage point. Yeah, I guess you're getting the expanse, right? So you, exactly, exactly. You feel, you feel freer. You're in the same square yeah, footage. Yeah. You feel freer, it's, right? It's the same reason why executive offices have have their their tables oriented that way. So they can see who's, who's coming, who's knocking at the door. We call that the uh, command position. Well, those are some pretty neat concepts that we can kind of include just to kind of I guess, trick our mind into creating a more engaging workspace in our, in our home. But do you think there are any other secondary benefits? I know you mentioned the, you know, cutting down on travel time, but then anything else that's more tangible that people might gravitate towards this as well? Yeah, for sure. So, so for the first time in, in a long time, like decades, uh, we're, we're seeing countries such as India able to see the Himalaya mountains for the first time in, in decades as well as the uh, venice canal for the first time since tourism really took off the waters are actually clear because all the soots have, have settled and emissions are definitely off so from an em- environmental standpoint I, I think that's a very positive side effect because less people are commuting and uh, also from a from a infrastructure point of view toronto uh, has a bit of a gridlock issue and a bit of might be an understatement as a very bad <laughs> gridlock situation. So it's looking at some of the, the developments that are planned and already in constructions, like the well, for instance, there's the uh, city place is already a crazy behemoth. And a lot, 
a lot more of those condos and density being added within urban infill lots. Toronto's infrastructure doesn't have the capacity to support all that, all that people commuting. So the positive side effect here, I would say, is less vehicles on the road, less emissions, and better for the environment. Yeah, I think for me as well, like since I moved into the house, we don't use our cars as much. Now we're rethinking whether we actually need two vehicles because we're working from home. Uh, we get additional tax write-offs as well, right? Because you are now, because uh, now that's part of your workspace, even if it's part-time. For me, those are some some extra tangible benefits. Now we've been talking about all the positives and positives and positives about this, but I'm sure there are some potential pitfalls and some, not negatives, but some some instances that we have to be aware of in order to overcome moving to a setting like this, right? Can you share some of those those things? I think some of those things would be Main Street animation, like without without people going to the city centers, without some of the the storefronts opened up. It could be, I mean, unless people are getting out there. So this is a bit troubling with COVID, with COVID happening as well. Like without those those cafes being open, you don't see people those digital no mass working as and so forth. But from another standpoint is the pitfall, I would say, would be the mental health aspect. Yeah, social isolation, right? Exactly, exactly. You want to create a space. Sorry, if you're integrating an office space within your living quarters, make sure that, that you're able to, to shut off. So one strategy in terms of design is make your work area different in terms of like materials, in terms of look in terms of color and so forth so you psychologically associate that space with work and even better if you have the ability to, sh- to uh, shut the door in that space where you don't see it to uh, give you that kind of mental breather so and and also the social isolation aspect as well because you are you're confined with your space then the next thing is the ergonomics issue because a lot of people buy their furniture from ikea it's important to get ergonomic furniture especially for sitting for elongated periods of time. Or you can get those sit-stand desks too, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's really good as well. I know for me, part of the issue is overworking, uh, mm-hmm. knowing when to Absolutely. switch off just because it's so close. And we all know there's always something to do, whether you're a senior level person or you know just starting out in, in a specific industry, there's always something to do. You know, there's, there's never a lack of things not to do, right? Exactly. So is there a difference? I know we touched on the overworking bit. But do you feel there's a difference between a live workspace and a work live? I think they're interchangeable. In in terms of live live work, it's it's basically it means a living space has the ability to to allow productive work. Now, if work live space could mean like a, a sleeping quarter within an office for late nights, but I don't I don't think the work live typology is is something that should be embraced because people should not sleep at the office. Yeah, when it comes to live work, live should still play the more dominant role because ultimately there's, from a mental health standpoint, we need to be able to shut off. Otherwise, there's just no ability to, to do that. And you're part of like entrepreneurial circles as well. So, so there's a concept of uh, working two days and then taking one day off. So, so that's, that's something that people need to consider because living, because working from home can literally be like living at work. And if you hate your job, that can be a very, very uh, challenging, right? Exactly. Uh, Now I know we've been talking about this, but like you, you mentioned Toronto has, has started to embrace some of these laneway housing and such. Have you noticed other cities and stuff across Canada or even the world that have 
started to adopt some of these? And has anybody kind of started to be the trendsetter uh, to spearhead this as an industry standard, this concept? I would say definitely Vancouver. And I'm from Vancouver myself. So I oh, don't be biased. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, though, I've seen Vancouver transform when it was first implemented because land prices were expensive and they wanted to look land to go around. So then way houses was a sustainable aspect. And it's I've seen some very beautiful homes being built from that. And it's now almost like a norm. I mean, people just like, yeah, naturally. And, and it's a... It's a very effective typology if you consider that if you if you uh, don't use that space to uh, as a guest room or whatnot, you easily convert it into office space. So within your own property, you you have the confines and comfort of being close to your home with a short commute, and also a uh, a space where you work that's separated from your main living quarters. So if anyone has the luxury of having a plot of land with a garage and so forth, I would say you know cover down to Lakeway House and, and, and use that as an office of DB. That's pretty awesome that Vancouver has kind of been pushing pushing this. I know uh, I know from experience uh, with One Oak here, you know, the work has, has been pretty slow compared to pre-COVID. But uh, can you tell me a little bit more about what Syllable does? I know you guys have been pretty busy through this process, but you guys have kind of switched com- compared to what you were doing pre-COVID compared to what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. I think the game has really changed with all the things that we're seeing. And, and even within our own practice as well, we were talking to our staff, we're like, we can come back to work now, and a lot of them prefer to work from home. So the space really is a space where we can foster that employee engagement. And uh, our office space is quite large. So what we're going to do is is to uh, sublet out the space, but also have opportunities where we can allow people to rent it by the day or by the hour or so and even use as location. Almost like freelancers as well. Exactly, exactly. So if anyone's listening, (laughs) contact me. (laughs) No problem. I was actually referring more to in the the type of work that you do because I feel like now with people working at home, I I see and hear a lot of residential renovations because people are getting into their space and saying, Oh, I don't know about this place now because now they're now they're at home all the time, right? And they have to adapt to the changing environment and, and incorporate a lot of this stuff in there, right? So in terms of pivoting, we were simply just looking at how the world is changing. And last year, we were specifically focused on commercial type projects. So working with larger tech companies and so forth, helping them with their office solutions and as well as finance companies and some of our commercial leads have actually frozen. And in terms of when we look at what people are doing, we, we shifted gears pretty quickly. We, we started going back to our residential roots, which is kind of a, also where we started from as well, having been specialized both in residential and commercial within both architecture and interior design. And uh, we essentially looked at and at how we can help our clients uh, create a, a space for the uh, designated workspace is more intentionally designed to uh, promote productivity, but also reduce burnout by creating that sort of separation and also flexibility. Now, big question. I know a lot of people have had their thoughts, put their thoughts on it. So companies like Shopify, who recently announced that they were fully shutting down their office and going to a full work from home model, let's say, quote unquote, do you think it's the death of the office? I don't think it's the death of the office. I think it's the the evolution of the office. Thinking about the trends that we're already seeing, this simply just accelerates it. It's almost like a reset button. 
and we're now being pushed towards the fact that there will be less designated workspaces. So there's a term called hoteling, which basically means that there's no assigned seating and people would have their own designated lockers where they can put their goods and the desk tables and whatnot are first come first serve. So companies like CBRE, Perkins & Will have adopted that a few years ago. And I think we're going to see more of that happening. So you don't think people are going to come into the office and be like, that was my seat. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be an HR problem. So yeah, fair enough. this might be the rise of the HR professional where they take on a more prominent role in terms of office management where they're scheduling shifts for workers to come in. But I think shift yeah. work is going to come into play, especially when it comes to yeah. COVID. Yeah. Have a have a smaller footprint. Have have a set number of designated seating for yourself, and then it's simply just arrange shifts where there's you know team meetings happening to uh, come in and so forth. So I, I don't think it's a, it's the death of the office. I definitely think it's a a, a revamp. It's it's like the office four or five point so to speak. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I also feel that it's it 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 will potentially drive a lot more people in the residential sector to potentially move to suburbs and out of more of an urban environment because now they have that flexibility and they need that flexibility of space in their homes. And you can, you can always just get a larger footprint. You're, you know, the further you're away out of town, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. I basically answered the question that I was going <laughs> to ask. <laughs> well, this was awesome, Danny. I know I've been incorporating this in, in, in my live workspace, shall we say, maybe not to the degree as you have, because you're on the design side, but you know, tell me a little bit more about macro version of what Syllable is about. What are you guys about? Who are you? What do you guys stand for? And uh, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of why we call it Syllable is uh, when we were looking across our projects, we realized that every single one of them are, are different. And a lot of it is simply due to our process. Like we always design the spaces based on our end user's needs. So everything is tailored specifically for the end user. And we integrate our consultants, our stakeholders, the clients. Uh, basically, we work as an idea meritocracy. No matter who it is, whoever has the best idea, things get implemented. And that's the same within our office culture as well with our staff. So similar to how like uh, syllables are sounds that don't have any distinct meaning, but when they come together, they form words that do have meaning. And that's how syllable came about. So the uh, type of work we do, since my business partner Tatiana is an interior designer, and I'm an architect or a full service architecture and interior design practice. And uh, we've done work on retail and commercial type projects as well, of course, um, residential, both within the architecture and interior design space. Where people can find us, check us out on our website at www.syllable.design. So S-Y-L-L-A-B-L-E dot design. And on Instagram, at syllable.design. Don't forget all the other uh, social media stuff out there like LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. You can get a bunch of the tips and tricks. Obviously, those are all generic concepts, but if you if you want it adapted to the, your your work environment, definitely, definitely reach out to them. Danny, this has been a blast, buddy. It's, uh, it's awesome to talk to you. Uh, I know it's been a few months since we've gotten together since this, but hopefully we'll get together sometime soon. Likewise, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Those were some interesting insights from Danny talking about how the office environment is actually evolving to now incorporate more of this corporate culture that um, has been coming up, uh, especially with uh, Rob Ellis from a few episodes ago talking about how the new generation are looking for a company culture to 
be incorporated uh, in their day-to-day -day activity. If this topic of the new office space resonates with somebody that you know or is looking to jump into a new environment, definitely share this episode with them. They'll gain some valuable insights as to uh, what their next steps forward should be and what they should be considering. Next week, we have Andrew Travis from OnFleet who joins us to talk about construction logistics and what it means to perfect the last mile and improve the efficiencies associated with so many deliveries these days and what they're doing in that environment.